Mac Power Users, episode 299, Plex, with our friend Todd Oltoff. Hey, everybody, it's David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie? I'm great, David. How are you? Excellent. And we have a, a specific topic today. Sometimes we do shows more general. The show is a very laser focused topic on something a lot of listeners have been writing us about. And it's the new, uh, well, new to the Apple TV service, Plex, uh, P-L-E-X, that allows you to stream media. And we decided to bring in our resident expert on Plex with us today. Welcome to the show, Todd Oltoff. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Todd, yeah. it's so great having you back. And for those of you who don't know Todd, Todd does some amazing screencast videos. Uh, most famously, he does a whole series on how to use the Mac uh, OS X server and how to set that up in your home and, and set up your own server. In fact, we did a show with Todd on the Mac OS X server. And if I had done my work properly i would have the exact number right here i'll have it in a minute but uh but you know that was a great show todd and um but we also know todd this is kind of server related in a way and we know that you've done a lot of screencasting and talking about the plex server as well so we thought we'd bring you in to kind of prop us up if we make any mistakes oh sounds good yeah that would be episode 189 david we'll put a link to that in the show notes thanks katie <laughs> <laughs> Well, I am so excited that we're going to get to talk about Plex a little bit because I've been using Plex for years now to manage my media, but I, I admittedly have not been using it to its full potential uh, until the new, I've been going back and forth between Plex and iTunes and home sharing. And, and I do still use some iTunes because I, I have a lot of my purchase content is still on iTunes. But when the Apple TV 4 was first announced, we saw that apps were coming to Apple TV. And of course, the one that I had in mind was Plex. And shortly thereafter, Plex announced that they were going to release an app for the Apple TV. And true to their word, within a few days of the Apple TV hitting the market, the Plex app was out. And I think interest has really boomed in Plex, uh, at least in the Mac community, since it became available natively now. It's been available as a hack for a while, but natively now on the Apple TV. Yeah, that, that was one of my hangups was for the longest time in order to get to work, you really had to hack your Apple TV. And every time they came out with a new update, then you had to figure out what you had to do again to get it working. And it just felt to me like it was way more uh, effort than it was worth payback. And uh, now that's not true. Now it's a, a blessed app and the uh, Apple TV app store. You can download it and it works and uh, and you're good. Right, Todd? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The hacking part of it was, uh, you know, made it difficult to get access to it. I mean, you know, Plex has been on things like the Roku. Uh, it was on that earlier and uh, some of the other devices. But even then, you know, it, it just wasn't quite as, uh, you know, as laid out uh, in a way that looked great on the on the TV with that. So a lot of times people would, you know, put them on a, a Mac or put a Mac mini next to the television and use the Plex uh, application interface uh, to run their media. So it's, it's good to have it kind of everywhere now. But I think before we get into the nuts and bolts of this, we should probably just talk about a little bit about what is Plex, because I'm sure there's some people listening that are scratching their head right now. Yeah, um, Plex is basically a uh, it's a media server. And so what that means is that it's uh, it's a server that you can put it, throw anything at. And so you don't have to do too much work with the different files, but you put the you put the files in a certain folder convention then Plex will go pull that data out. And then it will uh, basically work to add all the metadata for you, set everything up, 
and then have that information available to you on, uh, again, on your different devices so that you can get access to it. You can play your movies. You can do it with music. It does photos, all kinds of different things. So one of the beauties of Plex is you can really throw just about anything at it. You can throw movies, you can throw TV shows, you can throw photos. It will even handle, um, gosh, let's see, music videos, home home videos, all all kinds of things. And it plays just about any kind of video format, right? Yeah, absolutely. It'll play uh, lossless. It'll play, uh, you know, uh, MP, MP4. It'll play MP3. It'll do all kinds of stuff like that. And that is the beauty of it. You don't have to go all those extra steps to get it just right for it to be able to be used by Plex. Right. Yeah, just as a as a word, as an example, I've got all these little videos I've made of my family over the years. You know, you know, I'm the iMovie generation, so. Uh, and we'd always make these like little five minute videos and they don't really naturally go on to the Apple TV. Uh, but I've got using Plex, I've got them on the Drobo that's attached to my to my iMac. And then I my iMac is operating as a Plex server. And now when I'm on my Apple TV, I can just push a few buttons and yank those or play those videos from the Drobo upstairs. And it's it's really enabling, you know, to have all that media available so easily. And and people are using it for a lot more than that. They're using it for like the back catalog of their old TV shows that they love. Or they're using it for all the movies that their kids watch, you know, on a loop. You know, So uh, it, it really is just a, a great way. It's like an avenue into your new Apple TV that, that allows you to stream from just about anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's it's a great and like and like you said, it allows you just to with with very little effort get those things in there. I mean, there are some things you want to make sure the names you know are on there if you wanted to pull the metadata, um, but you don't have to get super precise with it. It really does a pretty good job of pulling that information down. That is remarkable. I had some old movies that we had on in digital format, and it did a great job of finding the name and all the the metadata, the director and the actors. It's it it really looks professional when it's yeah, done. Beautiful cover art. Things like that. It works great. So another another side benefit of it, and I'll let I'll get out of the way in a second here. But just just as I'm the newbie in the show, because I I had avoided Plex because I didn't want to screw with it on my Apple TV before. And the other thing that I didn't realize, I guess I knew it um, intellectually, but I never realized how much I'd use it. Is once you set this up, it doesn't have to just go on your Apple TV. You can stream to your to your Mac or to your iPad or your iPhone or or your Xbox or any of a number of different devices, which is really a nice thing. You can, you can watch your video anywhere. Well, let's talk a little bit big picture about how that works, because the way that Plex works is you have a, a server component and then you have client components and, and there can be many client components. And Todd, you can help us get a little bit into the, the weeds of this. But once you set up Plex on a server and a server can be a Mac, a PC, a, a network attached storage device, if it's got some intelligence built in it, um, but you set Plex up running on one of these servers you you point it to a data store where you've got these these videos, these photos, these this music saved. And then once Plex is up and running, then there are a number of different clients and the clients are available all over the place. I mean, you can they have clients for the Roku. They have clients now famously for the fourth generation Apple TV. They have clients available um, for the Amazon Fire Stick. A lot of the smart TV platforms now have Plex clients, and then the uh, they have iOS, uh, iPhone, and iPad clients, and then the clients can then connect to your Plex server and access all of this media. Yeah, absolutely, uh, and that is kind of the great part about it is you can access it just about anywhere. You know, in, in our house, I've got an Apple TV. Uh, my boys have an Xbox One. 
you know, depending on what device is on, I could always just flick over to the app and right there I've got access to all my media. Um, and, and the beauty of it too, and we can get into this a little bit more, is if you have the Plex Media server running, you can also access that uh, media on the go where you could have it, you know, access it on your iPhone or if your iPad, you know, has uh, cellular or you're on a, you know, wireless network, you could then pull those movies and things to those devices and watch them on the road, which is really great. Yeah. You know, can I, I think one way to illustrate this for folks who are still thinking about it is maybe I just explained how I do mine. I run it off an iMac connected to an external drive and that's my Plex media server component. Uh, Just real quick. So we can give some context. How are the two of you doing it? Yeah, um, for me, I'm I'm running it off a off a Mac Mini um, that I've got set up. I've got a Drobo connected to it, and I actually uh, I pointed to a couple of different folders. I've got a movies folder that's on my uh, Drobo. I've got a Drobo uh, 5D, and then I've also got I've got it pointed also at my movies folder inside my iTunes library, so I can pull in those movies as well. So I didn't have to redo them because I had done movies on there before. Uh, with iTunes, because that's what I was using before Plex, you know, expanded a little bit. And so I point them at both of them and, and it pulls it right in. And, and that's how I run it. And then I've got it running on my Drobo 5N, which is a network, a smart network attached storage device that I'm actually running Plex, the, the software on the Drobo. And then the media is actually on the Drobo as well. I have, um, both my Plex library is on the Drobo. And then like Todd, I also point it to my various iTunes libraries because I have things stored in that those iTunes libraries that Plex can play as well. And that's the beauty of it that we'll talk a little bit later about in the show is how you can use Plex and iTunes in many cases um, together with each other. So, but maybe this is a good time to get a little bit into the weeds of if you want to get started with Plex, the, the first place you have to go is you have to get a Plex server up and running. And that may sound complicated, but it's but it's really not. So if, if I want to start using Plex, I've got to get an installation of Plex running either on a computer or a NAS or something that will run Plex. So how do I get started with that? Yeah, I mean, if you go to Plex, uh, Plex's website, uh, you basically download the server application. And what the server application does, it's just a little menu bar item uh, on your Mac. And what it will do is um, when you launch that, it launches the Plex interface in a web browser. And that's where you would go through doing your setup. And um, and so you need that uh, to work first. Then you point it at different folders where you've got your media and it breaks it down by TV shows, by movies. Uh, you can point it at music, uh, home movies, that sort of thing. And then it goes and scans all of those folders, pulls in all of that information, and then matches it up with metadata uh, that it finds on the web and just put, pulls it all together. So you've got to have that Plex Media uh, server running. And like I said, it's just an application and it's free. Uh, that's the beauty of it. It's free uh, for you to use. There's not a, a charge for it. They do have a Plex Pass and we can talk about what that adds uh, in a little bit. But uh, I mean, it's it's one of the most incredible free pieces of software out there. Yeah. And the website is plex.tv, P-L-E-X.tv. And, and like you said, you can just download it and get it going. Uh, I'm not a premium subscriber. And um, I think when you first get started with it, um, make sure to take your time. I felt like the um, the process of hooking it up to your various um, libraries was a little more difficult than I expected it to be. It wasn't that user friendly, to tell you the truth. Um, so I, I do think it takes a little bit of knowledge. So when, when you first get going, it opens in your browser, like Todd was saying, go through all the menus before you start doing things. 
Yeah, it's good to go ahead and, and do that and take a look at it. That's true. Um, you know, once once it, you get into the thing where it has you add the uh, folders and, and such, uh, then it works sort of like any other file browser. You know, you'll you'll click, you know, I want to add a movie library. Then you'll then it'll have you browse to wherever that folder is. And then it'll you'll hit continue to add it and then it starts doing its thing. And then you have to go back and do it for each other folder that you want to add. Right. But if it's, you know, to be clear, if, if you're going to start with Plex, and I think most people probably should if they're just getting started, you know, running this on a computer, maybe a desktop computer that's always on, you know, Mac Mini or an iMac would, would work great for this because in order for your client devices to be able to see the media, that Plex server has to be running. Um, you download this as an application and, and you go on and you create an account and you just start setting it up. Um, and if you're more of a visual learner, by the way, than you are listening to someone on a podcast, um, Todd has done a great series of YouTube videos that walks you through this process. And, you know, Todd will put a link to those in the show notes if, if people want to see them as, as well. Um, and that those, I know that they're a little bit dated now, but I, the information is still good. In fact, I went back and watched them, you know, before we recorded the show. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm I'm in the process of uh, updating those. So I'm going to try to do an updated one, especially now that they've made some of these changes and some of the stuff with the Apple TV. So I'll definitely be doing an update. But yeah, those those ones I did previously, I think I did them about a year ago or so. And uh, most of the, the fundamentals are still there and, and the interface looks pretty similar. Right. Yeah. Um, if you do decide that you want to run Plex on a NAS and there you can go on the Plex website and they'll give you an idea of the type of NASs that are, are supported with Plex. I run mine on a Drobo. Lots of the Synology NASs support Plex. Um, typically, you can download Plex through the NASs app store. Most of these NASs will have app stores of their own. Um, sometimes the version of Plex that you're getting through the NAS app store may be a couple of weeks behind uh, the version that Plex has because, you know, for example, you know, Drobo is going to make sure that they test it and make sure that it works and there aren't any issues before they push it out uh, to the Drobo users, which sometimes has caused a little bit of an issue that, you know, I've had to go manually update mine because it may not be compatible with the latest features. Like I know when the Apple TV app came online, I had to go manually update my Drobo because the Drobo wasn't updated yet. Um, but that wasn't a, it was an annoyance, but not a huge deal. Um, but typically, or you can download it. And if you're you know familiar with how to install applications on your NAS and your NAS supports them, um, you can man manually download those, those from your NAS. It's a little more complicated to get Plex up and, and running on a NAS, especially if your NAS doesn't kind of support the, the automatic install from their app store, but it certainly can be done. Um, pros and, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, speaking of the NAS, and I think that's where we're going in terms of the pros and cons of using that. Um, with what happens with Plex, if just to get geeky a little bit in the back end, is that when you use Plex on any other device, let's say on an iOS device or or something like that, uh, what it does is it does transcoding in the background, and what that means is it prepares that file in the background for the device that you're going to be using to look at the at the media on. So it needs a processor to make that work uh, in order for that to happen. And so one of the things uh, in terms of using a NAS is that NASs have their own processors in it, but there are certain processors that will allow for transcoding and some that won't. Uh, Plex has a nice uh, a place on their site where they talk about, uh, you know, which NAS is right for me. And they've got a chart that tells you what it can do. Um, but what you'll want to do is, depending on how you think you're going to use Plex, that will probably determine what device you want to host the server on. Uh, if you think you're going to have a number of people in the household using, you know, the video streams at one time, you know, maybe you've got 
kids and you got five, six devices going on, uh, you may want to put it on a Mac, like a Mac mini or something like that, that has more processing power so it can transcode all of those streams to all those devices. Uh, sometimes NASs either can't do the transcoding, so you've got to encode the video just right uh, for how you're going to use it, or it can do limited transcoding, maybe like one one stream at a time, uh, if you're lucky, maybe two. So, you know, in, in terms of setting up uh, Plex, how you want to use it, you want to make sure that you know what your use case is, and that'll probably determine what's the best place to host the server. Now, Todd, does it make any difference? Like I'm running it on just a standard installation of OS 10, but you're the OS 10 server guy. I would expect you're probably running it on a server based version of a Mac mini. Yeah, absolutely. I'm running it on server based version of a Mac mini. But I mean, my Mac mini is uh, it's, it's a 2011. Uh, it is an i7. Uh, processor, which does allow for a lot of transcoding um, and stuff like that. But yeah, absolutely. But you don't need to have it on a server-based version of Mac. You can run it on the standard version of OS X or a server-based one. That's right. You can but run on any any Mac you want. They also have, I believe, uh, Windows PC uh, server-based software. And correct? Yeah, you can run it on Windows PC as well. And so, um, so well, those and, well, are and just your, so people don't get confused, and, and, you can run it on any Windows PC. It doesn't have to be a PC server or anything. Yeah, absolutely. Any any PC. So so the, the yeah the Plex Media server software just because this guy has server in it doesn't mean it has to run on a server. You can run it on any computer. Yeah, and and I guess my point is that you can get you can get the you know the the two pieces of the sandwich. You got the peanut butter and the jelly. the The server side is the can be done on just about any computer or network detached storage device you have. Um, yeah, obviously with the NAS devices, you're going to want to go to the website first and make sure. But the um. And and that's basically it. I mean, there's no other way to run the server side other than on a computer or NAS, correct? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. I don't I don't know if they run on Linux. Um, yeah, yeah, it does. I believe okay, it does. So, I think so they've just, got I think they've got just about everything covered. So just about I, any uh, bo- box you can plug into the wall, you can probably use as a server for this stuff. Yeah, I've actually heard someone's got Plex up and running on a Raspberry Pi. So. There you go. There you there go. You go. <laughs> but where there's where there's a will, there's a way. Um, yeah. You know, I I will tell you, I'm I'm running it on my Drobo five N, and people ask me all the time, you know, what what is the benefit of running it on a NAS versus running it on a computer? And I think Todd, you've you've already hit on this quite a bit. Is that if, if you're going to be transcoding quite a bit, you know, you're going to definitely going to see an advantage on running it on a computer versus a a NAS. Um, Now, NASs are very powerful now, but you can also get, if you don't already have the NAS, um, you can get quite expensive if you're you're buying you know some of these more powerful NASs. They can they can get expensive if you're buying it specifically for this purpose. You know I already had the Drobo and I was using it for a lot of other things, and it was just kind of like oh I can you know I can use it for this too. Um, this is a great use for if you have an old computer or an old Mac Mini. Um, you'll find that even you know a, a, an old Mac that's several years old is going to transcode probably a lot faster and have a much faster processor than even one of the new or, or current NASs. So the other pro- downsides that you're going to run into is, of course, you know, a, a probably a NAS is going to be a little bit more power efficient than running an old computer 24/7 for the purposes of Plex. It's probably going to require a little more maintenance for other things like software update and. Um, things like that. I I will tell you in my personal experience with running it on my Drobo 5N, I don't do a lot of transcoding. Um, the way that my media is is formatted, I've already got all my media formatted for for iTunes. I've already got my media formatted for the Apple TV. So my Drobo really isn't having to do any if but if any very minimal transcoding. It hasn't been an issue for me. 
Yeah. And that's and that's the thing. I think, you know, some of it's trial and error, too. If you start to get slowdowns or buffering or those sorts of things, then, you know, you're probably uh, you probably got a hardware issue that's uh, that's slowing that stuff down. Well, I need network as well. But and, and just from the other side of the fence, I'm running it on a standard installation of Mac OS 10 um, uh, and it's it's working fine that my biggest problem was I forgot to turn on the setting to have it automatically load Plex. So a few times I've been downstairs and wanted to see something and my server is not up because I restarted my iMac and sometime in the middle and it, it Plex isn't there. So I have to run upstairs to turn it on. And now I have it. So it turns it on automatically. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, you've well, done that myself. You <laughs> only make that mistake once or twice. And yeah, well, sadly, I made it twice. So that, there you go. But the, um, <laughs> uh, the, uh, what was it? Gonna, oh, the, um, like Katie, however, I, most of my stuff is already, uh, transcoded in a way that works really well over an Apple TV. Cause I've been an Apple guy for so many years. So I don't think I've ever stressed it very hard. I think I could equally probably run my data off a, a NAS drive. And, and one of the advantages of the NAS is like Katie was saying, you don't have to have a computer plugged in and pulling down electrons. It's, it's really simple to have one of these little boxes and it's just always serving up that data, which is nice. Like if you, let's say you're going out of town for several weeks or something and you don't necessarily want to leave a Mac running in your house. Um, that's a, that's an advantage of the NAS drive. Yeah, right. definitely. It, it, you just have to, like I said, it's all up to your use case. You know, if you go out of town, you leave the NAS box on and then you're trying to watch it remotely. Uh, if it doesn't handle transcoding, then you're probably not going to be able to get it uh, on that device. So that's why you have to kind of, uh, take take your use case into consideration, and that'll help you decide what to put it on. Makes sense. Well, uh, next I want to talk about getting the media into Plex, and specifically, what do I do with this media I have, and how do I get it into Plex? But before we do, I want to take a break and talk about our first sponsor. Uh, and this episode of Mac Power Users is sponsored in part by Gazelle, and Gazelle is your trusted online marketplace for buying and selling used electronics. So perhaps you got a new Apple device under the tree this Christmas and don't know what to do with your old one. Well, you can sell your old device for cash. Or if you didn't get that shiny new Apple device that you wanted this year, you know what? You can buy a certified pre-owned one with maybe the money you got for Christmas or the money you got from taking the stuff back that you didn't really want. Uh, Gazelle has got you covered both ways. Uh, for trade-ins, simply visit gazelle.com and find your device. You'll get an instant quote. They'll tell you what your device is worth. You can lock in that, that quote for 30 days. Shipping is free and payment is fast. And if you're looking for a pre-owned device, well, Gazelle has a variety of iPhones iPads, Samsung Galaxy phones to choose from, and each device is fully inspected and backed by a 30-day return policy. And best of all, it's sold without any kind of carrier contract. So you can go to gazelle.com, that's G-A-Z-E-L-L-E.com, see what your old device is worth, or check out their collection of certified pre-owned devices. Uh, devices are available in good and excellent condition. Good condition means there's some signs of wear and tear, but they offer you a great price on uh, wonderful devices. All of these devices have been put through a rigorous 30-point inspection, ensuring that they are in great working order. And the devices support all the major carriers, AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, and Sprint. Um, and if you're trading with Gazelle, well, their offers are free, so it doesn't cost you anything to go look and see what your device is worth. Simply find your gadget, answer a few questions, and you'll get an instant price quote. Their payments are fast, and you can get a check in the mail, an Amazon gift card in your inbox, or direct deposit 
deposit into your PayPal account. So head over to gazelle.com. That's G-A-Z-E-L-L-E. You can trade in for cash or buy certified pre-owned. And please, when you do, make sure you check the checkbox that says you were sent to them by Mac Power users to let them know that we appreciate their support of our show. So thanks to Gazelle uh, for supporting Mac Power users. So, Todd, we've been talking about fancy words like transcoding and uh, media encoding, which I'm sure for a lot of people, it sounds very intimidating. Um, Explain to me a little bit about how that works and why it's something you need to, to at least be aware of when you're dealing with Plex. Yeah, I mean, in terms of of media encoding, that would be where you would take something like uh, music or or a video or something and put it onto your computer. And so there's a there's a bunch of different guides on on the Internet that tell you how to do that. Uh, You know, that's what turns it into something like an MP4 uh, video file, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, Transcoding is uh, what Plex Media Server does to put that uh, media into a format that will work on whatever device you're trying to access it from. So, you know, an iPad is going to take a different uh, format, let's say, than an iPhone, uh, than an Apple TV. And so what it will do is, depending on where you're trying to access the media from, what device, it then reformats it on the fly to work on that device. That's kind of the beauty of what Plex does that makes all this possible. Yeah, because because the the demands of different screens are going to be different for the video file. And you right. don't want it coming out all pixelated or just the opposite. You don't want it sending up more data than the screen can actually display. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So instead of having to have a format for each device, which is stuff we used to have to do in the, you know, in the old days, I guess, before Plex, now it does it for you on the fly. And it's it's it does a great job at it. So I've got all of this this media and I've got it in, you know, whatever format that I've I've chosen. And we've talked about that, you know, Plex can handle anything. And so what I've I've got all this stuff in a folder and I've got to get it into Plex. And one of the things that I found most useful is I categorize mine into a couple of different folders because Plex supports different libraries. Now, me being a, an individual and you know not really sharing my Plex library with anyone, I, I keep my categories pretty simple. I just categorize mine into um, movies, TV shows, music, photos. I, you know, very generic cat. Oh, home videos. You know, very generic categories, and I organize my media accordingly. So I have a a root level directory on my Drobo called Plex, and then I have subfolders for you know those categories: uh, movies, TV shows, home videos, music, and then I take these these raw media files and stuff them in there. But Plex does have the ability to get a little more granular. So, for example, if you wanted a library of just kids movies or just holiday movies, um, and we can talk about the parental controls and things like that that you can set up later, you can Mm -hmm. also set up subcategories of of movies and dump those into the appropriate libraries. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Plex has, uh, you know, their... Their core, you know, when you go to add something to the library, it, it has categories for movie, TV shows, music, photos, and home videos. And those big categories just kind of tell Plex, you know, what type of media you're trying to throw at it so it knows what to add. Once you go in, though, and let's say you want to add a movie's folder, you can then name uh, that folder anything you want to name it so that when you're looking at your Plex installation, it'll show that name under there. So you might have, like you said, you might have a have a uh, library on the side that'll say movies. You might have one that says uh, kids movies. You might have one that says, what you know, whatever you want. You can set up sub libraries all day, uh, as many as you want, almost like a folder type of thing at a top level. And then those buttons will show up on whatever Plex installation you've got. And then you'll know exactly where that media is. 
Right. So and I know this is obvious, but but one of the advantages of this is you can put it on an external drive. Because, I mean, one of the problems a lot of people have is you've got a lot of TV shows and movies and home video, and it doesn't easily fit on your on your Mac or whatever device you're using to stream it from. Uh, Plex doesn't care. If, if, if it's attached to an external drive, you just point it at it and you're good to go. Yeah, and that's the beauty of it because you could have it on multiple drives that you have connected. Uh, like you said, it doesn't care. So you don't have to worry about, oh, I've got to move my whole library now over to this external drive because my drive's getting full. You can just put the new stuff on the new drive and Plex, you know, point Plex at it and it'll pick that up there as well. Right. So if I had to recommend people getting started, if you can keep all of your media consolidated, perhaps on an external drive or perhaps on a, on a NAS, you know, even if you're not running Plex on a NAS, you know, keeping all that, those videos on a, on one drive is, is great. I would say start with those big broad categories, movies, TV shows, maybe home videos, you know, photos, music, uh, and then, you know, take your, your media and, and put it into the, those various folders. Um, but then there's this whole issue of, okay, so I've got these video files. What do I name them? Because in order for Plex to do its its magic um, metadata matching, it, although it is very liberal, you do have to follow a couple of naming conventions. Yeah, there are there are some naming uh, naming conventions. And again, Plex does have a, a great page that talks through, you know, how to name your movie media files and that sort of thing. Um, but you definitely want to you need to have the the name of the movie file. Uh, and it's always it's also helpful to maybe have the year of the movie, uh, especially if you've got a name that, you know, might span a couple different years so it doesn't get too confused. So uh, if, I, if I like Jaws, because there's like 18 sequels right yeah exactly so you want to make sure that it's you know jaws 2 or you know has the date uh that sort of thing uh that makes it uh, easier for it to be able to access those things and you have fewer errors yeah Uh, you can you can correct it too though i mean you know you'll have things where it won't recognize for instance home movies it's obviously not going to recognize that because they're your home movies uh, you can go into Plex in the interface and rename the metadata. You can add your own cover art if you want to, uh, just like you would do, you know, similar to what you would do in iTunes. You know, if you've you know added a movie and you need to add the artwork and some of that stuff, you can do that inside the Plex interface as well. Katie, does it do a good job with Star Trek? Because, I mean, there's a lot of Star Trek out there. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. It, it actually does a pretty good job with Star Trek, but the problem is, is by default, it uh, it lists it all alphabetically, which is not correct. Why wouldn't that be correct? Because you have to list them chronologically. I mean, what would? How would you feel if it just listed the Star Wars movies alphabetically? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, That's not good. Yeah. Because some of them don't exist in my mind. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> so one, of, one of the things that you can do with Plex is that even though it did it as a perfect match and it got the name correct, um, you can even go in and you, you can have the, the name, but you can also have a name for sorting purposes. So, for example, with the Star Trek movies, what I did is for I changed the sort name to, and it took me a while to figure out Plex doesn't like Roman numerals for sorting purposes. So I had to name it Star Trek 1, you know, the number one, you know, hyphen the motion picture star trek 2 hyphen the wrath of khan and then from there arabic numeral i mean yeah right okay not the not the roman numeral because if you did it by the roman numeral then it it got crazy towards the end because it was just trying to alphabetize the tv show too then there's the tv show the tv shows it did a good a good job with because it was it was organizing them by by season and that was fine but you know in in my world those those reboot movies they they go at the end 
Yeah. Gotcha. Or, or preferably not at all. <laughs> I love that we both have parts of our favorite movies that we ignore. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So, so, but, but for, so someone out there doing this, it, it really isn't that hard. You know, you just got to get the movies. Once you have the movies on your computer and you know, there's other places you can learn about all that stuff. Once you get that on your computer, it really is just copying into a folder. And so long as you're close with the name, as the newbie on the, in the room, it, my it found the names of basically all of my movies, and I didn't change the names of anything. And I had very simple names; I hadn't put the years in or anything. For that's a great tip, by the way, Todd. Yeah. Um, but it just it found the right names for the movies that I had, and it just worked. It was a, a very seamless experience. Yeah, and you'll yeah, find it generally. A, oh, I'm sorry, Todd. No, I was just saying, it generally does does a pretty good job. Where where you'll probably want to maybe spend a little bit more time might be on TV shows. I mean, if you've got a bunch of those, you'll want to group them by season. Sometimes in the name, it would help to put like, you know, S01 for season 01 and then E01 for episode one and use that kind of naming convention if you really want to make sure to get it right. Uh, that TV shows can be where it might get a little bit mixed up sometimes. Exactly. A lot of times people name them like they'll they'll say E and S. They'll say like. I'm sorry, S and E, they'll say in like S1, E2 for season one, episode two. Is it smart enough to figure that out if you do that? Yeah, if you do that, you're in great shape. So if you put, you know, your your show name, you know, Star Trek, you know, whatever, and you put, you know, S1, E1, it would know that it was season one, episode one. Nice. Right. And they have specific naming conventions for that on their Web page. And I, I, like you, David, I, I found that my Plex got about 90 plus percent there, maybe 95 percent there uh, automatically. And, and you'll see where the errors are. It's pretty easy to spot uh, for things that have very similar names or for movies where you have multiple editions. That's where you'll have to go in and tweak. Like, for example, I had Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Well, I'm sorry, that's not true. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows. You know, there are two of that movie. There's part one and part two, and they weren't named differently enough that it could distinguish that there were two of them, but it it, sh- it knew that there were two media files. So that's when I had to go in and, and put the dates. Well, one was this year and one was that year. Um, and then it got it right away. So that was, yeah. In the, the dead, in the dead giveaways, usually when, when it puts up the wrong album art, that's usually when you see it right away. Right. Exactly. But like, Hmm, I don't think I have that movie in my library and you'll go from there. Now, right. now one of the things you guys have both done that I have not, and I'm interested in hearing about is integration with iTunes. Um, mm-hmm. so now are you just pointing at the iTunes library on your root drive of your, or wherever your iTunes library is on your computer? Well, you can, I mean, Plex has built in support to, uh, pull in your iTunes library as, as a separate icon. So it can pull in your music and it can pull in your movies, uh, separately. Uh, what I don't like about it though, is it, it, it gives it a different interface, uh, to pull those movies in. It's like, almost like it tries to mimic some of the iTunes stuff. Uh, instead, what I do is I just dig into the iTunes uh, media folder and I point it at the specific movies folder inside my iTunes media folder and pull it in that way. Uh, that way it's pulling it in just like I was, if I was pointing it at a, a movies folder I had on an external drive now, and then it pulls everything in fresh. For, so for a guy like me though, most of my iTunes movie stuff is DRM because I, I've been buying, I've been buying movies from Apple for several years now. Will that stuff work through Plex? No, no. it won't. Yeah, it, it'll it'll so. show up. It'll show up like you like you have it there. Uh, yeah. But as soon as you click on it, it won't play. So that's the beauty of having it on the Apple TV is you can switch back and forth if you need to. And that's why I haven't really point, bothered pointing at my iTunes movies because I just most I think almost everything in there I've purchased. 
Well, and I can um, tell you what I did to clean that up a little bit is because I was in the same boat as you. I was frustrated because occasionally I would go to something on Plex and I would play it and it wouldn't play. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's something that I got from iTunes. And so I had kind of this hybrid mode for really up until the Apple TV 4 came out is I had, you know, Plex and I had things in iTunes because I was doing iTunes home sharing. And really in the last couple of months since the the new Apple TV came out and Plex support on there, I have gotten rid of everything video-wise, movie-wise, um, and, and TV show-wise uh, that was not purchased through iTunes. I've, I've cleaned up that library, and I've taken that out of iTunes. And one of the ways that you can do that is you can, you can do a sort. If you, uh, if you open up the options in iTunes, you can sort. You can add additional fields to sort by. And you can sort by kind. Um, and I've taken all of that stuff out of iTunes. I've taken it out of my iTunes library. And now it lives just in Plex. So the only things that I'm keeping in my iTunes library for TV shows and for videos um, are that purchased content. And I'm really not using home sharing anymore because now I have a, an app, a fourth gen Apple TV um, both in my living room and in my bedroom. I picked up a second one for Christmas. Thank you, Mom. And... Um, so I just, I use Plex for all of that stuff. And if there's a movie that I want to watch that I know is something that I bought from iTunes, well, you can just ask Siri and she knows you have it. So she's going to either, she's going to play it from iTunes for you because you've got it and it syncs up through iCloud. Now, what about using other media, other iTunes media? Like for instance, a lot of the music is DRM free that you purchase in iTunes. Um, so presumably you could play that through Plex if you wanted to. And in that case, I just point, because I keep all of my music in iTunes, I have not put any music in Plex. Well, I mean, I have, but I, I, I don't have any music that's not in iTunes, if that makes sense. The only music yeah. I have is music that's in iTunes. So in that case, I haven't bothered to set up a separate Plex library for music. I simply point my Plex music library at the music folder in iTunes. And, and if you don't have your iTunes music folder organized, you, you probably should. And there's a way to do that within I, the iTunes preferences. There's an option to keep your, your library organized so it creates separate folders for music and movies and TV shows within that, that iTunes hierarchy folder. Um, and I've simply pointed my Plex library at iTunes. And a couple of years ago, um, I paid the upgrade fee to take all of my DRM music and um, you know, get it upgrade to the, is it the iTunes plus that doesn't have the, the DRM? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I don't I, even know if they do that anymore. But, I, yeah. I, I paid that fee a while ago and just bit the bullet and did it. And of course, everything you buy now is, is DRM free. Now I think where you're going to have an issue, David, is because you're an Apple music subscriber. Those tracks do have DRM. Yeah. And I haven't, in fairness, I have no desire to put it in Plex because I've, I'm very happy with my Apple Music, and they have an app as well, and the Apple TV and everything's working fine. But I'm sure there's some people out there that, that would have a reason to run music through Plex. And I think it, if as long as your stuff is DRM-free, I don't think there'd be any problem. Can you think of any issue with that, Todd? No, I can't. I, I think it would be fine. Uh, it'll pull in lossless. It'll pull in all kinds of stuff, uh, similar to what it does with movie format. So, uh, no, it should it should actually work out pretty well. Um you know, one of the reasons you might, you know, people might want to pull, uh, you know, music in there and, and we'll talk about it in a little bit is if they had a Plex pass, there's a few things that get added to uh, your music uh, if you if you've purchased that. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, there's really not a not a reason to do that. You could keep it separate uh, on your Apple TV, just run it through the regular Apple music. And I'll tell you, in my case, I don't 
there, there wasn't a reason for me not to also put it in Plex. I very seldom listen to music through Plex or browse music through Plex, but because I was just linking it to my existing iTunes music library that was already on my Drobo because that's where I store that stuff, it didn't cost me anything to do that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Music, movies, video, I mean, basically video and music. Is there any other media uh, uh, that we well, put, like doesn't it do photos as well? Yeah, and we should probably talk about photos mm-hmm. and and home videos a little bit. Those are those are probably the two big other ones. Yeah, it does. It does both of those. It does uh, photos, so you you can add uh, add your photos in there. Um, it'll also do uh, home home movies, and so your home videos, same kind of thing. You you would put them in a folder, uh, or if you've got them in uh, you know iTunes. Uh, as home media, right? Home home uh, videos. You could do the same thing, point it at that folder, and it'll pull it right in, just like it does with the other movies. And you, really good. You won't have the DRM problem there because it's your your video, right? Yeah. the only The only thing you'd probably want to do there is that's where you might do more work at. Just uh, you know, maybe you want to if you wanted to add add some cover art to it or something. It just kind of takes the first frame. That's up to you if you want to make it look pretty. But otherwise, yeah, same kind of deal. Yeah, and obviously there's no metadata matching with your home videos. And and I have set up a separate library for my home videos because I don't want my home videos mixed into with my, um, you know, movies. So I've set up a, a separate library for that. I think by default they they support that. But you will have to, depending on how you name your home videos, your pro- that's where you're going to go in and manually add add metadata for those. Um, with, with photos, Plex previously supported photo sharing um, with iPhoto, or they had a plugin with iPhoto. They have not mm-hmm. yet updated that to support the Photos app, but I would hope that they will at some point. We'll see. Yeah, hopefully, because they did it for Aperture as well uh, before. You know, another thing I was looking at on the website is they've got this JavaScript bookmarklet for Safari. Have you guys used that? Uh, yeah, I've used it before. Um, yeah, if you're that, that's kind of an added thing as well. If you're, let's say you're watching, um, you're looking at a a video that you want to watch later, you want to watch it on your TV, let's say, instead of on your computer, uh, you could bookmark it and then it will show up, uh, in Plex and then you can, you can then start playing it on your television. So it's kind of magic right there. I mean, yeah, it's, it's neat. It really is. Yeah, it is kind of magic. It, it's kind of like an Instapaper or a um, a pocket for video. So if you come across a video on the web that you want to see, you, you click the bookmarklet and it's going to be saved in Plex for the next time you go into Plex. Yeah, like in the family, we're always showing each other funny videos or something we saw of interest. And this way we could put it on the TV together. And so I, I guess I, I guess what you're telling me is I need to download it and install the bookmarklet. <laughs> well, it's, it's pretty easy. You just kind of drag and yeah. drop it up there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Hey, we've got a lot more to talk about. But before we do, I want to take a minute to talk about our second sponsor today. And that's our friends over at Casper. We're so happy to have Casper back on the Mac Power Users as a sponsor. Uh, Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses that you can get for a fraction of the price that you'll find in stores. I mean, the old problem that exists in so many businesses exists in the mattress business. And that's there's so many middlemen. And, you know, and the whole industry is, um, you know, makes consumers pay these really high prices because just because, and they don't even tell you exactly what kind of mattress you get. One manufacturer will have several different names. So when you, it makes it really hard to compare prices. Casper changes all that. They cut out all of the costs of dealing with resellers and showrooms and they pass the savings 
directly to the consumer. It's a quality mattress. Uh, the Casper mattress provides resilience and long-lasting support of comfort. I have one in my house. I love it. Uh, their mattress is one of a kind. It's a it's a hybrid mattress. You know, you've heard of the the memory foam mattresses, and everybody always complains that they're too hot, and you sink into it like you're. It's just really weird. Uh, Casper's not like that. It's a combination between a premium latex foam and memory foam. It's just enough sink, just enough bounce. It works really great, and the technologies come together for better nights and brighter days. Uh, uh, it's obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. So how much does it cost? You know, a lot of times you can spend over $1,500 for a mattress. Uh, Casper uh, starts at 500 with a twin size and goes up from there. All the mattresses are made in America, and it's really convenient. You don't have to try and figure out how to get it home. When you buy one, they deliver it to you in a box. Uh, you come, bring it in the room, you open it up, and the mattress kind of expands to fill the space. And it comes with a 100-day uh, return policy. 100 days, that's a lot of time. So it's really that simple. You, you, you know, you can't figure out whether you want a mattress or not when you lay on it in the store for four minutes. Why not? Get a Casper mattress, sleep on it for a week, and then you can decide. Um, I'll tell you, you're probably going to end up keeping it because they're they're really great mattress. They understand the importance of truly uh, trying out a mattress, and and they've got this 100-day policy. Uh, they're shipped to you in a box. It's kind of fun to open them up, and it's an experience all of its own. Uh, go check it out. Uh, Casper.com slash MPU. That's the website, Casper.com slash MPU. And listeners of the show get $50 towards any mattress purchase by going to that website. Uh, thank you so much for Casper for uh, making this great product and supporting Mac Power users and Relay FM. All right, there's still a lot to talk about with Plex. And so we've really talked about, you know, kind of the things that you can put in Plex and um, what Plex does, but Another big thing that Plex does is allows you, we, we've really talked about the server application of Plex. Let's talk a little bit about the client side of Plex, because one of the beauties of Plex is that once you've got the server set up, you can access this media from a variety of clients. And we talked a little bit about they've got an iPhone app, an iPad app, famously the Apple TV app. Um, you mentioned, I think, that your kids had a, was it a PlayStation app? Um, but I think they have a PlayStation app. Yeah, yeah, app. X, it's on X. Yeah, Xbox. Xbox One, PlayStation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Roku, they've got Roku apps. Um, my TiVo has a Plex app now. My Samsung Smart TV has a Plex app. I, I mean, my refrigerator has a Plex app. I'm just kidding. But, you know, these these things have uh, lots of things now are coming built in with Plex. So once, you, once you've once you got the server set up, you can start accessing this media everywhere. And, of course, if you're accessing it from inside your house and inside your network – that stream's going to be very quick. There may not have to be any transcoding. Um, you know, that's going to be beautiful. But you can also access this content when you're away from home as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you create a, uh, you just create an account um, on, on the Plex website. And then what it will do is it connects, it connects to your Plex server. And then you just use that same login on your iOS device or whatever client you're on. So if you... Uh, you know, went to a family member's house who happened to have an Apple TV and you wanted to download the Plex app on there, you could log in with your credentials at their house and then you've got all your media there. Uh, it really is. It really is. It's kind of the setup we've all been wanting for so long, the, the ability to be able to take our media anywhere and access it. Uh, that's really how it works. I know not, a lot of people use this when they travel, you know, like if you're if you're in business and you're often on the road and you want to be able to watch, you know, all your back episodes of your favorite TV show. 
Yeah, absolutely. My my uh, my folks just retired, and so uh, they'll sometimes go to Florida, and so he he has a Roku that he takes. Now he's going to take an Apple TV, but he has a Roku that he takes with him and just leaves his computer running at home. And then he's got all his movies there. He didn't have to load it up on anything. He can just access them from there and watch them while, while, while they're staying there. Yeah. Now, of course, you know, we talked about transcoding potentially may or may not be an issue, but also your internet connection is going to be an issue on this. You know, you're going to be potentially bottlenecked both by the connection at your, your home where your Plex server is sitting, but also by the connection of wherever you are, where the client is, where you're trying to stream to. So, you know, in the case of your, your parents at, you know, their, their, their house in Florida or whatever, if they've got Mm -hmm. slow internet connection in one of those places, they, they may have some trouble. And the other issue is they may have, uh, if you're doing this over your, your wireless connection or your, your, your cell phone connection, you could burn through your data caps really fast. So be aware, you know, of what you are streaming on. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's an important one to know. I think they've got a setting in there too, where you can, you know, turn it off so it doesn't work on your, on your, uh, on a non-cellular, on a cellular network. So it's only on Wi-Fi. but yeah, you definitely got to watch that because that will eat up minutes, uh, data real quick. Right. Um, and we'll talk about this when we talk a little bit about the Plex Pass, but if you, you pay for the Plex, the, the streaming is free. Um, so everything that we've talked about so far, you can do for free. But if you actually upgrade and, and pay for their Plex Pass, you can download that content. So maybe if your internet connection isn't so great, you can queue up some stuff and download it maybe overnight or when you're not busy and then watch it later. And we'll we'll get into the details of that. What about sharing my library? Because I hear a lot of people that want to share their content. So let's say I have a a, a great movie collection and wonderful taste in mu- uh, movies, and I've got all of the Star Trek movies, and my my poor friend Max Sparky, you know, just hasn't seen them all yet. And really, I th- I think that's something that he needs to experience. And I've got you know all of the episodes of all of the series, and and I want to share that experience with him. Um, we're both Plex users. Is that something that I can do? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can do that. What you would do is uh, you go into your account, you'd invite him, you know, send him by an email and all that. And then he could join your library. And then what happens in the app is, is you can switch between libraries. So you, what you'll see is you'll see your library and then you'll see his library or vice versa. And then you just basically switch libraries and then you have access to all that content as if you were watching your own content away from home. Uh, it, re- it really is slick. It works great uh, to be able to share media that way. Now, Katie, do you have a separate library for like the even numbered movies versus the odd numbered movies? <laughs> I, I really should. The, these are the ones that are better than others. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and you don't even have the prequels in your library. I have them all in my library, but you don't even, the prequels just don't, don't exist in your them. library. Yeah. I'm, I'm never watching them again. <laughs> Honestly, I watched them in preparation for... Because I did prepare for episode seven. I, how, I watched them. How did you watch them? Did you rent them? Did you buy them? Did you just no, buy them I, after I, you watched them? I borrowed them. them. I borrowed them. Okay. And I, uh, I, I I forgot how terrible they were. Because the last time I saw them was in the theater. And I walked out of the theater saying I'll never see them again. And that was, I don't know, what was that 15 years ago? Whatever. And uh, I just watched them again. And man, I, I just, I don't know what to say. And I have a lot of friends who still, who like all Star Wars things. I cannot agree with them when it comes to the prequels. See, I, I actually own them and I have them on my, my Plex server. I, I could have lent them to I you for your, for your party. <laughs> now, is there a limit of how many people you can share with? I mean, like if you have a big family, can you have a bunch of people sharing libraries that way? Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, you can have them do that. Again, everything kind of depends on your bandwidth and yeah, that kind of stuff. I but, and I think that's yeah. probably why they have you access one library at a time. 
you know, type of thing, because it probably helps with the uh, with with the access and transcoding. But yeah, you can you can add a, a you can have a whole bunch of them in a list. I I've done it with three. I haven't gone further than that, but I'm sure it didn't didn't say any limit when I was looking at it. The the other thing that you can do is you can set up multiple libraries. So I could set up perhaps a a special library that I just wanted to share these specific things. So I'm not sharing my whole library with people. And then as we alluded to earlier, um, I can set up separate libraries of perhaps just, just kids movies. So I can, there are ways that you can build in some parental controls and you can have a pin number associated with Plex. So if you've got children mm-hmm. in the house and you maybe want to set up some ratings or things like that, you don't want them to have access to everything on your library. There's some ability to do that as well. Yeah, absolutely. With the with the Plex Pass, you can they've got a Plex Home uh, set up there where you can create those customized managed accounts, and then you can restrict contents to cer- to certain users uh, based on their accounts. So yeah, no, absolutely. It, 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 they've even thought of that, which is great, especially for those with kids. Well, you know, maybe you know we've talked about the apps quite a bit. Let's let's talk about the Plex Pass. This might be a good time to do that. I mean, almost everything that we've talked about in this show to date is free. And candidly, that that worries me a little bit um, because I love Plex so much. I, I rely on it so much. I want them to continue uh, to be able to operate. I think they they might charge a little something for their iOS apps, but but it's not much. Um, yeah. And and so if you the way that you can support Plex uh, is is by subscribing to their Plex Pass, and they've got a couple options. You can get pay, and, and I'll pull the exact prices, but either a couple of bucks a month or a little bit more a year, or you can you can pay f- to be a lifetime member. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's like four ninety nine a month. Uh, yearly is thirty nine ninety nine, and then lifetime is one hundred and forty nine ninety nine, and um, and that is how you support it. And, and the apps, I believe the app is, is $4.99, I think, on the iTunes store right. uh, if you're not a – but if you're a Plex Pass subscriber, the apps are free. So you don't have to pay for the apps there. Yeah, I actually bought uh, the apps and then became a Plex Pass subscriber. But you know what? I'm, I'm happy, to, happy to throw them the money. I want them to keep developing it. Yep, I did the same. I did the same thing you did. And, uh, and, I, did, and I did the lifetime deal, uh, I think, just before they – I think they ended up upping the price a little bit. And um, – and the Plex Pass, uh, like you said, it helps support them. But what happens too is you get access to certain features that isn't aren't available for free. Uh, but the kind of the beauty of it too is is some of those um, some of those different features they end up adding into the free app eventually, and then they add brand new things into the Plex Pass area. So it's uh, it's they're always developing it, and it seems like they keep coming out with new things related to it. Um, I can talk through some of the things that the Plex Pass gives. You want me to do that right now? Yeah. Um, I mean, we can talk about the big ones and then we can talk about some of the little ones. The The big one that we've already teased is the ability to download um, to your devices. So let's talk a little bit about that because I was a little confused about how downloading and then cloud sync is the other one. So let's let's maybe talk about those first because those are probably the big apps that the features that that people sign up for Plex Pass for. Yeah, yeah, and the way they named it, um, I think, is a little bit confusing because it's it's mobile sync and cloud sync, and the mobile sync is the one that allows you to download content uh, to your devices, like your your iPad or your iPhone, and that'd be the one you'd use, like you said, if you're going to go on a trip and you want to take your movies with you, you can then download uh, your media to your device, and then it's available offline, so that you can watch it through the app through the app uh, while you're on the road. Uh, Cloud Sync uh, gives you the ability to um, upload some of your content to a cloud storage um, service. 
So something like Dropbox or something like that. So then you can have access to it uh, that way if you didn't have, for instance, your Plex media server running. Like let's say you're going out of town and you didn't want to leave your computer on, but you wanted to access certain movies, you can either download them to a mobile device or you can upload them to a, a cloud service and then access it from the cloud service then on, on your device remotely. Uh, so that's kind of the difference between the two. Yeah, let's take those one at a time. So the the mobile sync first, this is one that I was a little confused about initially because I thought, okay, this is pretty self-explanatory. I can just boom, 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 go in and, and download my, my episodes, my TV shows and my movies. And I, I saw that the option was grayed out initially, even after I became a Plex Pass subscriber. And I saw that I had to go into my server and enable sync. Um, and then once I did that, I was I was able to download. And so I guess in order to download to enable sync, yeah. you you and correct me if I'm wrong because this is where I'm a little fuzzy on it. But you, your your content has to be transcoded or or in a format that works with the specific device that you want to download to. And if it's not, then your server will start transcoding it so it's available for download. Can you go through that a little bit? Yeah, that's correct. So what it what it does is it it will. Um, what you're doing is what Plex does on the fly, okay, from from the Plex from the Plex server where it transcodes the video to fit your device. Uh, it 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 asks you to do it through the interface. So you have to tell it what device you want to sync it to, and then it will do the transcode for that device and then download it to the device. So that's why you have to do it that way because you 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 don't just hit the button on your device to make it work. So it is it is a little bit of an extra step there uh, to make that work, but it you, prepares. You have to it give then. it a little thought ahead of time that I I'm I'm going to be traveling. I I want to be able to sync these. Absolutely, that that uh, that mobile sync is is for those mobile devices. That's basically what it's made for. Um, if you were thinking you wanted to watch it on, let's say, a TV somewhere that you were going, um, that's when you might use the cloud sync because then you can just throw them up there and then pull them down at the at the site. And again, this is all based on the fact that you won't be having your uh, Plex server running or you won't have internet access to be able to access it. That's now why I, you'd use it. I will tell you that this is perhaps where one of the benefits of me having kind of pre-transcoded everything into the Apple format was a benefit to me because I went and said, yes, I want these things available for download. And it really didn't have to do any transcoding and almost everything was instantly available for download on my Apple devices. Now it was it I I chose not to have it downsample it to a, a higher or to a lower quality, so I'm I'm mm -hmm. getting the maximum file size and resolution. But that's okay because I'd already kind of you know pre-transcoded it down before. Yeah, that is that is a that is a good benefit, and yeah, that's where you know if you if you've already put it in your iTunes library, you've you've probably already set it up the way you need it, and it'll it should work pretty easy. Right. I, how many times are we going to say the word transcode on this podcast? We. <laughs> <laughs> quite a few quite a few yeah and, and what we haven't said is um is the word handbrake which is probably how we're getting there i mean we're not going to i don't want to get into what you know how whether you rip your movies or not but if you have stuff that is is legally yours and you want to code it i think handbrake is a really great way to do it because it'll take anything that is not drm'd and it will encode it however you want is that is that how you've been doing them in the past katie yeah, and I've put a link in the show notes. Jason Snell has a great article on some of the settings, and if you want to get really geeky, you know how how you can um, do it for optimum quality versus just if you're you're doing that for Apple devices. Um, that's that's worth a read, and and uh, so I've got a link to that as well. Because like I did my home videos that way, and and th this is one of the things reasons why all of us nerds are so excited about Plex. It used to be I used to have to rip home videos in multiple 
settings. I had to do it, you know, I have to do it ideally for my phone and for my iPad and for my Apple TV and for the computer. And now with Plex, it just plays. You know, that's that's one of the, the beauties of this whole thing. Right. And then the cloud sync is kind of it's not designed to take your entire library and and put it in the cloud. But, uh, you know, you can link it up to Dropbox. You can link it up to Google Drive. I think you can link it up to Amazon S3. They, they've got a number of cloud providers that they support, but it's basically bring your own storage and you can selectively sync a, a handful of items. Again, if you're traveling or if you have a couple of favorite TV shows or movies that you want to sync up to the cloud. Um, so that you can leave, you can turn your media server off um, and directly access those um, those items from the cloud. Yeah, that's right. That's that's what that's designed for. I mean, frankly, uh, you know, I haven't really used it at all. Uh, I haven't really had a situation where I haven't just left my uh, Plex media server on. But yeah, in, in those times where you might want to do that, at least it's an option that's available. Yeah. One of the other fun features of the Plex uh, Pass is that you get, and I didn't think that I would enjoy them, but I, I am, is, you know, when you buy a DVD, and it's probably been a while since you bought a DVD, um, you get trailers, which you may or may not like, but you also get like these little DVD bonuses, these extras, which are like interviews with the cast and crew and, um, you know, little vignettes and, and things like that. Um, if you subscribe to the Plex Pass, you get movie trailers and like basically those DVD extras, other little extras that they've gone out and found and that they will associate with the videos in your in your library. And so you can turn on those extras and it's it's a really they've done it really well. So when you, um, you know, go to a movie that you have in your Plex library. So if you go to, you know, uh, The Wrath of well, that may be a hard one because it's an old one, but we'll we'll pick it anyway. If, if you go to the the new Star Trek movie, Star Trek Into Darkness, you'll see below it, um, in addition to being able to play the movie and the artwork for the movie and a synopsis of the movie, you'll you'll then see the trailer for the movie, and there may be multiple trailers for that movie, and then you'll see um, extras, which may include interviews with the cast and crew and some behind the scenes and some special effects, um, and uh, so that's really cool. So you kind of get those DVD extras without the DVD. Yeah, it really is neat. It is. It's almost like looking at, you know, the kind of the iTunes store in a way, right, where you can play the trailer and you get all this extra data below. Uh, the other thing you can do with that, too, with the trailers is if you want the full movie experience, you know, you go to a movie and you see previews of upcoming movies, you can set it up to actually play those previews of upcoming movies before you play the movie you're watching. So if you wanted to kind of have a theater <laughs> set up in your own house, it's kind of neat. I've turned that off. <laughs> that's 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 the beauty of watching videos in my own house is i don't have to watch 15 minutes of trailers there you go unless you got people that take forever to get uh down to where you're watching the movie you know then you can yeah. play those ahead of time to keep you busy while you're waiting there you go yeah while you're making the popcorn yeah that's right yeah you get it well it, it is really um quite remarkable i you know to me uh, you know the the ultimate test of nerd stuff is is the reaction of my family that's not so nerdy and i'll never forget the first time i opened the plex app when my older daughter was in the room and she saw like all the video and stuff that we had you know added to our library over the years suddenly available on the apple tv she gasped i mean she she was so excited to be able to get access to that stuff so it was great and she went and watched some of the movies that she loved when she was little and uh you know everybody likes that um, yeah, it, it is quite, uh, remarkable. Uh, you want to talk about our last sponsor before we get on to some of our, our best uses and best practices with Plex? 
Yeah, we can talk about our sponsor and then talk a little bit about how we're using it. And then, you know, we've got quite a few listener questions as well of people who, who have questions that um, I, I've integrated many of them into the, the outline, but uh, a couple things that we didn't cover. Um, so our last sponsor for this episode is Linode. And Linode is a combination of high-performance SSD Linux servers spread across eight data centers around the world. And that makes Linode a fantastic solution for your server infrastructure. So if, if you can get a server up and running in under a minute, uh, they've got plans started at just under $10 a month. It's amazing. You'll be able to choose your resources from a Linux distro uh, to a node location right under the server manager tool. And then once you're up and running, you can easily deploy, boot, and resize your virtual server with just a few clicks. Uh, Line node servers offer industry-leading native SSD storage, powerful Intel E5 processors, which are the fastest you can get in the cloud market, and access to over a 40 gigabit network. I thought that was a typo, but apparently no, uh, with multiple levels of redundancy. They also have an API that allows you to easily automate tasks and develop custom applications for the cloud. And all of Linode's pricings and features hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services, so you don't have to worry about getting some, you know, ghastly bill, you know exactly what you're getting. They have over 400,000 customers, which are all serviced by their friendly 24-7 technical support team. They are even open over the holidays because you know what? Your business, if you got a problem and you need to get someone, you need to get someone because time is money. LineNote is committed to improving their infrastructure. They recently switched over from XGen to KVM and their latest Unix benchmark showed over a 300% performance increase. LineNote is great for tasks like uh, running a private Git server, hosting large databases, running a mail server, operating powerful applications, and much, much more. And so if you have a use for this, if you're a listener of the show, you can go sign up at linode.com, L-I-N-O-D-E.com slash M-P-U. And not only will you be supporting us, but you'll also get $20 towards any LineNode plan with a seven-day money-back guarantee. So you really have nothing to lose. So head on over to linode.com slash M-P-U to learn more, to sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit. So thanks so much to LineNode for supporting the show. So, um, I, you know, I, I am really a fan of Plex and I, I didn't think I would be to tell you the truth. I mean, cause I'm, I'm pretty simple with my video needs these days. We don't buy as much as we used to, but the stuff I do buy, I just buy it in from the, uh, Apple because I've got all these Apple devices. And as soon as I pay for it, it's already on all my devices. I don't need cloud sync or any of this stuff because, in essence, Apple is doing it with their cloud services. Uh, but when it when it showed up on Apple TV number four and I got the new Apple TV, I decided, hey, I want to to try and figure out what everybody's talking about. And I became a believer because I do have a lot of older video. And I have found uh, in my for my use case as probably not as much of a power user as the two of you, is it has been a great resource for my old video, like home videos um, and uh, old, you know, old movies that I have in a digital format. It does a better job of giving it metadata than I ever had in iTunes. And um, it just it makes it easy to see. And I don't use it a whole lot. I'm not, I don't think I'm going to be on the road, you know, accessing my server to, to, to watch a movie. I don't even do that the stuff I've already bought. But boy, it really makes it easy to put that stuff together. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, that I think that is the beauty of it is that it uh, it it takes care of all of that stuff that's that in the past has taken us so long to put together all of the media and all that kind of stuff. The things that we tried to do with all of these home media 
uh, servers, right? Hooking up a computer to the TV, you yeah. know, with these big interfaces, it just does it for you. It's like magic when you've worked on that before trying to make it work. And now you see it just happen in front of you. It, it, it really is incredible. Yeah. I mean, I've done the Google images search to find the cover art and I've like gone on IMDB to try and get some metadata in the stuff that I have and it never works. And it always seems like it gets lost. And Boy, just all the all the headaches that came with old, you know, with managing media that you hadn't purchased uh, through iTunes, uh, they've all just gone away with this, and and that's been a really great. That to me is the big benefit. I don't know, maybe someday I'll expand my usage and, and buy a pro account, but um, for the the general stuff that I'm doing, which is basically uh, old video that's upstairs in that hard drive, I want to get on the TV at any time I want. Uh, it's just been fantastic. Yeah. What? I'll tell you, you what I've been using it for is, yeah, I I have this Mac Mini that's kind of long in the tooth now that I was using as an iTunes media server, and it was on 24-7, and the only reason that it was on was I had all of this media in iTunes that I was serving to Apple TVs because, you know, I'm a, I'm a cord cutter. I had all of my media in iTunes, including lots of things that I had put in there, um, you know, content that I had ripped and put into iTunes, and that was the only way that I could... I could watch it. And Plex was was really, because I didn't have Plex on the Apple TVs, I was kind of flipping back and forth between, you know, Plex, I got a Fire TV stick and was running Plex on that or Plex on the Smart TV or other things. And when Plex came to the Apple TV, that was just it. It was, there was no excuse for me not to move all of my, you know, non-iTunes content into Plex because it was it was one stop shopping and that was all I needed to switch over because I've got everything where I need. In fact, Plex is my home row, you know, top left uh, icon on the Apple TV. It's it's the app that I use most on the Apple TV because I like to go back occasionally and you know I've got like the West Wing or right now I'm rewatching Star Trek Voyager. You know, those are old DVDs that I had that I've got in Plex now and I'll go through and that's that's kind of what I do to unwind at night is I'll I'll put one on about nine or ten o'clock and, you know, watch that before I go to bed and that's kind of the last thing I do and then I turn the TV off and and go to bed. Um, and so that's that's been the great service. One of the other things that I do is I kind of use it as an, an archive for some of my TiVo content. I, I think I've talked about the app that I use called CTiVo which will pull the content off of my TiVo. Um, and now I've got that pointing to my Plex folder and it dumps it there. And CTVO actually has the ability to properly name it and tag it. And then, you know, Plex picks it up and, and does it from there. And, you know, I, I tend to kind of binge watch a couple of shows. So I have, you know, three or four series that I'll record during the, the fall when they come on, but I'll, I'll watch them during the summer. So I have something to watch during the summer. And so I've got all those series, they're, they're sitting on my TiVo, but sometimes I'll have to clear them off because I don't have enough space. They're just sitting in Plex now. So I can, you know, download them and watch them, you know, frequently we have, you know, three family weddings this summer. I'll download them and I'll watch a lot of them, you know, as we're, we're traveling this summer or, you know, when we're out and about. And so those are things that I'm, I'm using Plex for. And it's, the interface is beautiful. It's just, it's all come together. Um, Todd, how are, how are you using it in your family? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm using it, uh, you know, again, the same kind of ways in, sen in the sense of getting all of my media into one place so my family knows where to get it. You know, like you, David, when, when my kids saw everything up there, they thought that was the most incredible thing ever. And they kept playing all these movies and different things they hadn't seen in a while. Uh, the great part, too, is with the home movies, uh, for them to be able to see some of that stuff, too, and access it really easily. 
Uh, that's one way. Uh, the other thing I use it for is, is again, you know, with, with my iPad and things like that now, sometimes, you know, I just want to watch a movie and not be in front of the television. I can just stream it now right to the iPad app and watch it that way. Uh, getting access to my movies remotely. Uh, I do that. You know, if I'm with family or something, I can just pull it from the Plex Media server and and show a home movie or watch a movie that we've got. Uh, that's another way I do it. And then uh, it's been just incredible to be able to share uh, libraries uh, like with my my parents and have them have access to my library. And then anything I kick up there with the kids, they can just watch right away on the TV without having to try to figure out how to get it off their iPhone to the TV or whatever they want to do with it. So uh, it's been that that whole sharing feature has just been a great, uh, great thing for us. Yeah, I hadn't yeah. really thought about that, but getting family members connected to Plex even just for the sake of your library is a good is a good use case. Well, especially, oh, yeah. I mean, I don't have kids, but I, I know that kids kids like to watch their stuff, you know, and the same stuff over and over and over again. And, you know, if you just, even, you can get an Amazon Fire TV stick, you know, you could get them during Black Friday for 25 bucks. We, we picked up a lot of those for, for family members this year. But, you know, you can find a device that runs Plex fairly inexpensively. It could be an Apple TV or it could be something else. You know, getting those for your, your various family members for grandma and grandpa's house and then connecting it up for them and linking it up to to your library and now your kids have their stuff wherever they go. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And then, and then like you said too, having the, uh, we got uh, my dad an Apple TV for Christmas, the new one. Uh, Cause then he can access Plex, get a, get it, get connected to my library and then see any videos and stuff of the kids doing their sports and stuff like that. All right. Let's talk some about listener questions. Eric wrote in, we kind of answered this, but maybe we'll just cover it one more time. He says, what's the best server setup and what are the pros and cons of using Plex on a Mac versus a network attached storage device? Yeah. Uh, again, kind of like we talked about, it's just, uh, you know, how you're going to use Plex. If you think you're going to use it on the road, you're going to have maybe family members accessing it. You're going to be doing that kind of thing. You'll probably want to do it on a Mac because uh, it's got more power in the processor. Plex does have on its website uh, a NAS compatibility uh, chart that will list all the list all the model numbers and then it'll tell you uh, how much it can how much it can handle. So if you wanted to stream something in 1080p, can this pro- can this processor handle it or not? Uh, it's got all that information up there. Uh, the difference is is just with a lot of the the NAS uh, situations is again depends on how many uh, uh, streams so to speak you're going to do at one time. Um, they kind of give you a formula there. You know, if you think you know the kids are going to watch watch it at one time, you're going to watch it. Somebody else is going to be hitting it. Uh, it might. Uh, choke the NAS a little bit. So that's your use case is what will determine what to use best. Yeah. And I would add to that, if you're just getting into this and you have a NAS device, well, you can go ahead and use it there. If you don't, which a lot of people don't, just use it on your Mac for a while and see how much you use it, how much you like it. And maybe this is, you know, maybe this is what leads you down the road to a NAS device, but, but you don't have to go buy hardware to do this. If you've got, a, if you've got a Mac in your house, you can try it out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Joe wrote in, uh, he said, how important or difficult is file naming? He says he has hundreds of movies and he doesn't want to rename them. Yeah, like we said, it's it does a pretty good job. I mean, if you've got the names pretty close, uh, you'll find that it it does a pretty good job uh, across the board. You might you might have a few things to clean up, but it you know, you certainly if you've got names on there of your movies and they're they're pretty close, uh, you certainly won't have to go through and name every single movie. You might have to just correct a few. Yeah. And, and Billy asks, where, where do you store your Plex files and how do you deal with the massive storage and backup needs? 
I think those are actually probably two separate questions that need to be addressed. I mean, where you store your Plex files depends on where you can store them. If you're running Plex on your NAS, well, the best place to store your Plex files is probably on your NAS. I think if you're running Plex off of your computer, you're probably going to want to store those Plex, that media, those media files somewhere else, you know, either on an external direct connected hard drive or on some kind of network attached storage. Um, Todd, do you agree? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's how that's how you do it, um, depending on what you're using. Now, dealing with the backup issue, that's an important question. Um, If if your Plex files are stored on NAS, that's great. You you have some fault tolerance there because most of the NASs, by their very nature, have some built in tolerance for things like if a hard drive dies, you can just replace it with another hard drive. But you're still dealing with a single point of of failure with a NAS. So, I mean, I can tell you what I personally do to back up my NAS is, um, you know, I've got a carbon copy cloner running on my Mac and I've got a script that sets to weekly run a backup from my NAS to a direct connected, really big hard drive, uh, USB 3 hard drive connected to my Mac. And I just set that off to run at like 1 a.m. on Saturday morning. And so I have a, a duplicate of all of the stuff that's on my Drobo on that hard drive. And, th- and thankfully, the size of my Drobo has not grown, or the size of the data on my Drobo, I should say, has not grown bigger than the, my, my hard drive space. Um, if if you're running with just an external hard drive, you're going to want to come up with some kind of backup plan, whether that be including that external drive in your cloud backup solution or including that having a separate backup of your drive, um, but something, you know, Todd, any thoughts on, on best practices for backing that up? Yeah, I, I do it kind of the same way you do. I've got a, another drive that's connected to my Mac that then I just uh, clone. So that that way I've got a I've got an immediate copy of it and I can just recover. Uh, you know, also I also use Backblaze uh, to get everything up in the cloud just in case I've got a point of failure here. Uh, so you know, just your normal best practices with backups. Uh, for some people, I mean, if you've just got a, a handful of of movies that you you added to your computer, you may not worry about it because you could just use those to put them back on. You know, so it, it all depends. The, the beauty of Plex is it's not like you. It's not like those movie files somehow get sucked in and and something special happens to them on the actual movie file itself. You could recover from the disks as well. Yeah, and and that's another advantage, frankly, of using using it on your Mac is a service like Backblaze will back up a a, a connected hard drive where it won't back up a NAS drive. So I've got... Mm-hmm. I've got a lot of data going to Backblaze, including Thanks, Backblaze. that is a lot of <laughs> included in that is is a lot of movies. Yeah, so, so that that's nice. But even you know, if we, even when you look at things like you know um, Dropbox or an an iTunes or an Apple iCloud account, you, for ten bucks a month, you get a terabyte of storage, and you could put quite a bit of it up in the cloud that way too. So there's all sorts of ways to do it. But I guess the point we want to make is. Um, setting this up isn't going to solve your backup problem. You need to solve that problem separately. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, server, yeah. the fact that it says server in the name just means that it's an application that runs. It's not somehow backing it up somewhere. And Joe wrote in, uh, a different Joe, and he says, well, how family-friendly is Plex? You know, how easy is it for him to set up? Well, and I think also to to add on that, not necessarily how easy is it to set up, but how easy is it for, you know, perhaps your non-techie family members to use it? Because nothing's going to frustrate your family faster than if you've got this complicated, geeky setup that nobody knows how to use. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's pretty family friendly just from, 
you know, watching how my kids and my wife were able to navigate it. Uh, if you look at the interface on something like the Apple TV or on an Xbox or whatever you're looking at, uh, it pretty much has the big buttons for, you know, music, movies, home movies. You just click into that and all those cover art things come up. And I mean, so it's it's a it's a pretty easy interface for them to use. Now, I wouldn't say, you know, your mom or dad would have an easy time necessarily setting up the library behind the scenes. You know, that might take a little bit more instruction. But in terms of use, yeah, it's it's pretty easy. So long as they understand they need to go to that Plex app to get to the media once they're in there, um, I think they'll have no trouble finding what they want. Yeah, yeah David, I agree. how has your family taken to Plex? I know you said your kids were thrilled to have all the content in there, but... Kids like it. Um, Daisy doesn't really use it, but I mean, we're, you know, a lot of the stuff in there is, is video and stuff that they liked when they were little. And, you know, they like going back and looking at it. And, um, uh, you know, the adults don't go back and watch, you know, the Barbie movies that much. (laughs) What's wrong with you people? (laughs) That's good to know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it works great. And, and like I said, the home movies is the part that, um, that the whole family's enjoying is that I'm, I'm in the process of going through and kind of processing and, and updating a lot of old home movies. And that is something that everybody's going to it for. It's just, it's not that difficult, Joe, you're going to be fine. And, uh, like at the beginning of the show, I said, it's a little tricky, I think setting up your, you know, pointing at the right folders and the initial setup stuff. But if you have any trouble at all, we happen to have someone on the show that did an amazing screencast. So we're going to put that in the show notes as well. Just go watch it and you'll get all set. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. All right. Well, we've kind of reached the end of our outline. Todd, can you think of anything that we've missed that, that we need to talk about with Plex? Um, I think people need to give it a try. Oh, absolutely. No, it's something to try. Uh, I think we've covered everything uh, related to it. Maybe with the exception of on the music side of things, you know, if you have a Plex Pass, it does add some things like the uh, uh, music videos and stuff like that. But other than that, yeah, I think we've covered everything. And I agree. Give it a shot. You'll uh, you'll love it once you get everything hooked up and running. Awesome. All right, Todd. Well, once again, thank you for coming back and sharing all this great information with us. Uh, Where can people find you? Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, you can find me at ToddOltoff.com or over on YouTube uh, for Todd Oltoff. Yeah. And um, and you can find us. We're the Mac Power Users. You can find us at Relay.fm slash MPU. Also, MacPowerUsers.com. On Twitter, we are at MacPowerUsers. Katie's at Katie Floyd. I am at Mac Sparky. And Todd, you are on I'm, Twitter? Yep, I'm on Twitter. Yeah, T. Oltoff. All right. So everybody go check that as well. Uh, thank you to our sponsors, Gazelle, Casper, and Linode for sponsoring the show. We really appreciate all your support. They help us keep the lights on, so please support them. And we will see you all next show, which is show number 300. Woohoo! Oh, and I think there is still time for people, if you hear this quick, to send in your questions uh, using yeah. that hashtag MPU300 to Mike and Steven. I, I don't know what to expect, David. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll be uh, good. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I don't know what they're going to ask me to do. It could be, it could, it could be crazy. <laughs> well, we could just shut it down too. Be like, yeah. nope. <laughs> yeah. it, c- it could also, you, you never know. But, but it, if everything works out, we're going to make it to show 300. I guess yeah. you'll have to come back next week and see. We'll see. All right. Well, thanks everybody. It's been a great 299 episodes and, and hopefully, hopefully there'll be a show 300 next week. <laughs> Talk to you then. <laughs> <laughs>